Hello and welcome to the Daily Sermon Podcast. My name is Christopher Scott and I serve as the senior pastor at Lakeview Missionary Church in Moses Lake, Washington. And this podcast is where I share my sermons. Right now, I'm posting one sermon per week, but starting in January of the year 2022, I plan to share a sermon Monday through Friday, which will be five sermons per week posted here to this podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's message. We shouldn't have to tell other people that we are Christians. They should know it by what they see in us. Now, of course, we want to share our faith, because if we do good deeds but never tell anybody about our faith in Christ, we're simply a nice person. But before we tell them about our faith in Christ, they should recognize that something is different about us. They should see something different about us compared to the rest of the world. Sadly, there are a lot of Christians in our culture that are known by their name, but not known by their deeds. And that's one of the reasons this church has struggled for years and has continued to struggle. That we all haven't always done a good job discipling people. And as a result, we don't look much different than the world around us. We call ourselves Christians, but the world doesn't see much of a difference between how we act and the rest of the world's behavior. As we've been going through this book of Galatians together in the last couple of months, We've seen here in these closing chapters, as we're in chapter 6 today, that Paul is starting to tell us how we look different among the world. We started out looking at chapters 1 and 2, which were very personal about Paul and his life and his story. Then chapters 3 and 4 were very doctrinal, lots of Old Testament quotations and theology that he was sharing. But as we've come to chapters 5 and 6, it's been very applicational. He's giving us things to do and telling us how we look different than the world that we live in. So as we look at Galatians 6 together today, we're going to look at God's Word and see what Paul tells us and how we look different than the world. And he starts out here. Uh, there's really four things in this passage he tells us about how we look different than the world. And the first one is that we humble ourselves, based on verses 3 through 5. We humble ourselves, and then we don't think of ourselves as better than others, based on comparison. And Paul reminds them to avoid pride that comes when they don't really understand themselves. In verse 3, he tells them, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul's worry is that we have a tendency to take credit for our own achievements. When we do this, we forget that we rely completely on God's grace to save us and God's Holy Spirit to empower us for good. And Paul discourages self-congratulation and personal pride that rests on the poor performance of others. In verse 4, he says, But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, not in regard to another. Now we can always find others that are doing worse than us in the spiritual walk than we are, and we shouldn't get our confidence and pride from others that are doing worse than us, but we should look at ourselves in light of God's world, word and note that we should be different and be growing. One of the professors at the seminary I attended, um, he talked about 
always comparing himself to others. And that tendency, we always have to compare ourselves to others and think about what do others think about us in our comparison. And he said at age 20, he really cared a lot about what people thought about him. At age 40, he started to not care what other people thought about him. But at age 60, he realized no one thought about him at all. <laughs> as a refreshing statement that it might as well not even compare himself because they're not thinking of him either. The message of paraphrase puts it this way on verse 4. It says, don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. And, but Paul discourages personal pride. I'm sorry, but Paul encourages personal pride based on personal works. So he tells them, don't compare yourself to others in verses 3 and 4. But he says it is good to have a personal sense of pride based on your own personal work. In verse 5, he says, for each one will bear his own load. As believers who put their faith to work, we should find cause for boasting in our works that we do. The word for load here that he used is an old word used to describe the cargo that a ship carries, actually in the book of Acts, Acts 27. But it also is used in New Testament times to designate the pack that a soldier would carry as he walked. And we're supposed to bear that own load and do good deeds. Those are representative of the good deeds that we do. And those good deeds are going to get judged at the end of, of the world. In the Bible, there's five different judgments that are described. One of those is the judgment of believers' as works. The other four are that there's going to be a judgment of Gentiles or nations. There's going to be a judgment of the nation of Israel specifically. There's going to be a judgment of the fallen angels such as Satan and demons. There's going to be a judgment of the unsaved at the great white throne judgment. And there's going to be a judgment of us, of believers, and the works that we've done. This will occur after the rapture. There'll be a judgment in heaven in front of Jesus Christ, which is called the behemoth seat of Christ. And it's going to be a judgment of our works. Now we know we get to heaven. That's already been decided. We get to enter heaven based on our faith in Christ. But our place in heaven and our rewards in heaven are based on those works that we do. And that's the deeds, the, the load here that we're supposed to bury that Paul tells us to do. So as we humble ourselves, it's important for us to remember we need to focus on our own works and doing good and not worry about others. At the last church I worked at, there was a, a co-worker that I had that was, uh, what is call a spade a spade. He was extremely irresponsible. Couldn't get his work done, was always late, always having to remind him to do everything. And one day at church, I noticed that his tags on his car was expired. I said, hey man, your tags are expired. Oh, I paid the bill, I just didn't put the tags on. Like, no, you kind of got to put the tags on your car, right? You got to put those on. I was kind of, you know, reminding him what he's supposed to do. Then the next week, we came to our church staff meeting, and my truck was parked out front. And he looked at my tags, and then he walked in. He said, Christopher, your tags are expired too. <laughs> and it was a good reminder for me, I've got enough stuff I need to worry about to not worry about him. And that's what Paul's saying here, that we humble ourselves and that we don't compare ourselves to others or focus on others. We focus on our own deeds and try to do the best we can. So Paul has placed a strong emphasis on individual responsibility here, saying believers should only boast based on our works, and we should uh, will need to answer for those works on the day of judgment. 
But next, Paul talks about how the Galatians should interact with their spiritual teachers in verse 6. And he tells them that they need to honor their teachers by giving them what they need and supporting them. Verse 6 reads, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now, when he says the word, word, here in this passage, he's referring to this gospel message that he has taught to the Galatians, because there was no New Testament written at the time. Galatians was the first New Testament letter, letter to be written. The gospels came later, all the other books of the New Testament came later. Galatians was the very first book that we have that got placed in the Bible. So that's what he's talking about. But when we read it, the word, it means the whole word, because we have the whole word. And when he says the one who teaches here, that refers obviously to Paul and his companions that were out spreading the gospel message, but that now refers to pastors or to people in the church that actively teach and disciple Christians. And we have a couple examples of people in the New Testament that were supported in their, in their work of sharing the gospel. Luke is an example. When he wrote the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, he had a guy named Theophilus that was some type of a dignitary or person of reputation that supported Luke in his travels with Paul. And even Paul accepted gifts from people and helped them. Even though he was a tent maker to try to support himself, there were several times, many times, that he accepted gifts from people to help him in his ministry. And the book of Philippians is pretty much a thank you letter. The Philippians send Paul a gift, and the letter of the Philippians is, is essentially his thank you letter back to those people for their gift. And it's important to support the teachers in the church because it takes time to study the Bible, synthesize it, research backgrounds, find a good way to present it to the church in an interesting way and relevant way. For pastors to provide spiritual food to the flock, they need time to prepare that spiritual food. And when people faithfully tithe to a church and support it each week, it not only pays for the lights and the heating and air conditioning and things like that, but it pays for a pastor that can spend that time in the Word preparing a spiritual meal for the church each week. And as your pastor, I'm grateful that I get to uh, be that person, that you support the church and, and provide for the church and me in that way. And I'm compensated well and grateful and don't have any complaints. And when I candidated here and got to meet you all in May and June and got to learn the community and meet the board and it was everything was good. And then you all voted to invite me to be your pastor and the, the board extended me a compensation package. I signed that baby and sent it back as fast as I could because <laughs> it was a good place to be and I am grateful to be here as, as my reason in sharing that with you. So as believers, we honor our teachers by making a regular habit of giving 10% of our income to those that teach and disciple you. And I say 10% because the Bible talks about a tithe as a 10% that we should give. And the tithe is based on the Old Testament law in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's talked about in the book of Malachi. And Jesus even talked about giving a portion of our income being more important than the actual amount. But if 10% is too big or too steep, I've always encouraged people, start with 4% and then work up from there. Start with 6 and then see how God works with you and try to add to it each and every week. For each and every year, sorry. 
So we honor our teachers there. And then Paul talks about how believers, those that are spiritual, harvest fruit in verses 7 through 9. That we harvest fruit through our walk with the Spirit. And Paul gives us a principle to apply here in verse 7. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Paul is afraid that the Galatians might not take these commands seriously and might not take the upcoming judgment of their works seriously. He's telling them that they are saved based on faith, but their place in heaven is based on their works. That's why he tells them to apply this principle. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. But then he gives them a practice to follow in verse 8, which reads, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And he begins here, the translation I'm using is the New American Standard Bible, NASB. He begins here in verse 8 with the word for, which is an explanatory word that describes the terms and conditions of that principle in verse 7. He says for, and he talks about the flesh. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. We as believers know, and we looked at Romans chapter 6 last week, it teaches that we're no longer ruled by that sin nature, that flesh that we all have, that sin nature. We're no longer controlled or enslaved to it. We've been born again, and through that spiritual death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus Christ, that power of sin over our lives has been conquered. We're no longer ruled by sin. But we can still slip back into sin from time to time, and that's what Paul's trying to warn here. He doesn't want them to allow the flesh to become a regular habit in their lives. An occasional slip here or there, of course, that's all of us. But because the flesh still tempts us, and it's still part of us, but it does not rule us. Then he talks about the Spirit next in verse 8. He says, But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is us. This should be us. These are the ones who are spiritual. This is us who are spiritual. Just as he's called us in verse 1, he says, you who are spiritual. And the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives means, as we saw in Galatians 5, that we bear spiritual fruit. Love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, faithfulness, things like that. The Holy Spirit living inside of us produces those qualities in our lives. And as we produce that spiritual fruit, it uh, reminds me of a couple fruit jokes that I, I meant to share with you last week, okay? Apple jokes. What's worse than finding a worm in your apple? Finding half a worm. <laughs> How do you make an apple turn over? You push it downhill. Why did the worm leave the apple? Because Noah said to travel in pairs. Oh. And last one, my favorite one. What do you get when you put an iPhone in a blender? Apple juice. So, okay. 
So those are from last week that I forgot to share with you when we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Those were good ones. So as believers, we harvest spiritual fruit through the Holy Spirit living in us. The late Charles Ryrie, theologian Charles Ryrie, said, Every Christian will bear spiritual fruit somewhere, somehow, sometime. Otherwise, that person is not a believer. Every born-again individual will be fruitful. Not to be fruitful is to be faithless, without faith and therefore without salvation. So here Paul's talking about how he harvests fruit. He gives us a principle to apply in verse 7, a practice to follow in verse 8, and then he gives us a potential problem that we need to avoid in verse 9 as we seek to do verses 7 and 8. He says, says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. This describes burnout from doing good. When he says, let us not lose heart for doing good. And it can be discouraging to help people over and over again, especially if you don't see um, fruit or you don't see good things going on. It can be discouraging and, and draining to work with people all the time and be involved in them. This week I had lunch with uh, Brandon from Serve Moses Lake because our, our church gives them some support each month and I wanted to learn more about what we do. And, if you've ever met Brandon, he used to be in the army. He was a firefighter. He's a big, strong guy. And we're having this lunch talking, and he says, man, every day I go home, and I'm completely exhausted. Because he's talking to people and working with them and helping them figure out their solutions and holding them accountable and kind of discerning whether they're telling the truth or not and um, seeing them drop the ball and then or do so good for a long time. And it was interesting to see this strong, healthy guy talk about how sitting at a desk talking to people all day was so draining but that's true being involved in people's lives can be draining and that's why when we're engaged in the church or ministry or work that involves other people we need to cultivate a lifestyle that won't burn us out we need friends that we can just talk to we can't always be working with people and talking to people we serve we need some friends we can just enjoy time with we need sleep our culture, it's become kind of a, bag, a badge of honor to brag about how little sleep we get. But all the research tells us that our bodies need sleep. Our brains and our body both need sleep our, for our emotional health as well as our physical health. We also might need to consider having a hobby, something that you can do to get your mind off of, of work or how you're working with other people. So the fourth thing that Paul tells us here about how we're spiritual and how we look different is how we help others. And I'm going to jump back up to the beginning of the passage. In verses 1 and 2 and 10, Paul uh, talk about helping others. And he says that we help others in good deeds done to all people with a special emphasis on the church. But he first talks about how we help those that have fallen into sin in verses 1 and 2. He writes, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. So here in verses 1 and 2, we're told what to do, and he tells us how to do it. Paul describes first those who have fallen into sin, he describes he says, even if anyone is caught in any trespass. 
And the word for trespass here means the falling aside or a slip or a lapse. It's not necessarily a willful, deliberative action. And the word for caught means to take by surprise, to be surprised by something. So he seems to describe people that aren't intentionally, willfully sinning all the time, that they just happen to kind of drift off and maybe stumble into sin in some way. And Paul says, he describes those who are supposed to restore that person from sin. He describes those of us who are supposed to restore that person from sin. He calls them in verse 1, you who are spiritual. This describes the Galatians, it describes you, and it describes me. Because we are all spiritual people after we place our faith in Christ. And we've read that as we've gone through the book of Galatians in chapter 5. Paul says that we are led by the Spirit in 5.18. That we live by the Spirit in 5.25. That we walk by the Spirit in 5.16 and 25. So the people that restore those that have fallen in sin are spiritual, but they also have a gentleness to them. He says to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. This is the manner in which we approach those people that have been caught in sin. We don't come to them ready to argue or to prove a point, but we are spiritual people that show the fruit of the Spirit, and gentleness is one of those fruits of the Spirit. Then next, Paul describes what the spiritual and gentle Christians are supposed to do with those who are fallen. And he tells them to restore them. And that's an imperative here, and it's given in the present tense. So an imperative is something we're commanded to do, and it's given in the present tense, which means we're going to have to do it regularly and ongoing and continue doing it. It's supposed to be something that we do to help those and correct their behavior on a regular basis. And here Paul describes helping others that have fallen into sin as an obligation of Christians. Here in verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens. And the word for one another is placed very front in the sentence. In Greek, you can change the word order in order to emphasize certain things. And he puts one another at the very front to emphasize that's what our focus should be. And the word bear is placed also in the present tense, just like the previous verse, and probably means that it's something we're regularly supposed to do. We're regularly supposed to bear one another's burdens. And the burdens that Paul tells us we need to bear are probably related to restoring the sinner in verse 1. And when we bear the burdens of others, it means we carry their loads. We often have to enter into their struggles and help them. Even if we don't personally experience those struggles, we still feel the emotions that come with them or deal with the consequences both for those emotions. At the last church, there was a, a couple that was part of our church and then kind of left and we still stayed in touch and um, they were about our age and the husband had a job and the wife didn't and they had a little girl and he decided he wanted to enjoy uh, having sex with another woman and have an affair and then he did it again. and. One of the women was in the preschool of his daughter, and it was a big old mess. And so when I found out about it, um, my first call was to the woman that had been cheated on. And while that's extremely difficult for her, you know, I feel some of those same emotions that she felt 
like I should go show up to his job and we're gonna have a little talk and I'll bring my biggest, strongest friend and we'll have a, a real talk, you know? The same emotions I'm sure she was feeling on a higher level, but when you enter into people's struggles like that, you're gonna naturally start to feel what they feel. And that's what he's talking about here. When we bear one another's burdens, that's what, what happens. So that's what verses one and two say, that we help those who have fallen into sin but if we jump down to verse 10, we see that Paul reminds them again to help others, and he provides them with two priorities for us. And he wraps up these 10 verses, starting with the words, so then, he says. He says, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. And Paul gives us pretty much two priorities here. He says our second priority is to help all people, to do good to all people. He says, let us do good to all people. And this is a common command for us and believers, that we're supposed to love all people everywhere. Warren Rearsby writes about this verse saying, it's not only by words that we witness to the lost, but also by our works. In fact, our works pave the way for our verbal witness. They win us the right to be heard. So we need to do good to all people and love all people. And that can be difficult sometimes, especially during COVID in the last year and a half. The way we can love all people has reduced. I've tried to go visit um, Denny in the hospital and they wouldn't let me in there a couple months ago. And it's just, you're limited. So this week I was thinking about how we could um, love all these healthcare workers that are overworked and understaffed and people are quitting and you can't get in the emergency room because there's so many people there and we talked about I talked with the board and we want to do some card ministries to love the people working in the healthcare industry so I have some cards here that we purchased and I have a little tips sheet about how to write some cards and one of the ways that we can love the people going through difficult times right now is to fill out some encouraging greeting cards for them. And I already went over to the hospital and I talked to the director and I said, I work at the church just up the street. We'd like to bring your staff some cards. Would that be okay? She said, that'd be great. They would love that. And I brought her four samples. I said, this is what we're going to bring you. It says God on it. Just, we're going to get everything out there. It says capital G O D God, not gods or anything. It says, we are praying for you, and it's going to have scripture on the inside. We're not going to be apologetic. We're going to, you know, share our faith with them. She said, that would be great. That's not going to be any problem. So it's already been cleared um, with the hospital and a nursing home here in town. And I want to encourage you today, there's stacks of five cards here. If you want to take a stack, fill them out, bring them back next week, and I'll take them over there. Or if you want to come to the church during the week, I'll make you a cup of coffee and you can sit here and, and fill them out. But that's one way that we can love all people, as Paul tells us here in this passage. He also gives us another priority here. He says we help the church as the first priority. So we're supposed to help all people, but especially those who are of the household of faith. And that's us. That's the first priority, is that we got to take care of ourselves really before we try to reach out to others. And there should be a balance there, right? We, we love each other, but we also love other people. 
And that's something I want to encourage you this week, that as a church body, we can take care of each other by calling each other. Kendra's been working on updating our directory the last month, as I've shared with you each week. So we put a bunch of the directories in your boxes there. And I'd like to encourage you each week, try to call somebody you don't see at church to check on them. How are they doing? They're out of town, they're sick, maybe something like that. But use that directory to love the church by calling them. Because that's something I do every week. I try to call some people I see or don't see at church to check on and make sure they're okay. But I think it speaks a lot more if you also call them as well. Because I can't always call everybody each week. I usually make a list, usually five or six or eight people. And sometimes I make it to three or four. Sometimes I make all five, eight. But um, that's something we can do as a church as well. So as we wrap up our time together this morning, I want to illustrate how people can identify us as Christians because of our works, using a story from the show Monk. I'm not sure if you saw that show that was on USA Network about 10 or 15 years ago. So Monk works for the San Francisco Police Department as a detective, played by Tony Schlue, and he goes through this traumatic experience that causes him to have extreme OCD. So as an OCD guy, everything has to be perfectly at right angles. You know, the little wrinkles on my shirt would not be allowed. The wrinkles on that table, you know, those all have to be, that's how he is. And he has a full-time nurse that takes care of him because he won't drive. She has to drive him everywhere. And so there's this episode where he goes to meet this guy at a truck stop who's going to give him a clue for a... A, uh, a crime and so he goes and the guy ends up hitting him on the head throws him on the trailer covers him in a tarp and then the truck takes off so he wakes up two days later in another state he doesn't know who he is he doesn't have his nurse there to take care of him and he's lost and the worst part is everybody in San Francisco is worried about monk too because they know he can't survive without them <laughs> and so they send out notices trying to find him all over the place and his nurse, her name is Sharona, is the most worried, but they find him. The police department gets a call, and so Sharona shows up to the San Francisco Police Department, and Randy, one of the detectives, says, we found Monk. And Sharona says, well, that's great, you found him, where is he? He says, he's in Montana. So that's great. She said, well, how do, how do you know it's Monk? If he got, did he tell you his name? They said, no, he didn't give his name, he doesn't know his name. And Sharona says, well, how do you know it's Monk? And Randy says, it is Monk. It, it's Monk. And Sharona says, well, if you didn't give his name, how did he know? And Randy says, well, this is what happened. When the truck driver that found him on his trailer got him up, woke him up, he gave him a $20 bill to make a phone call and get a meal. And the truck driver that called us said as soon as he gave him the $20 bill, he just started flattening out every little wrinkle in it. He didn't say anything. He just started working on it. It's Monk. And Sharona says, it's Monk. We found him. And I tell you that story because I hope that we would not have to tell other people that we're Christians. Just like Monk, they didn't need to know his name to verify it was him. They knew him based on his actions. And for us as Christians, I hope and pray that we would not have to tell other people that we're Christians, but instead they could identify us from our actions because we're humble, because we honor our teachers, we harvest fruit, 
and we help others. Let's pray.